You're listening to Vincenzo Landino on the Brand Boost Podcast, powered by Zoom. Welcome to the Brand Boost Podcast. Joining me live tonight, live, we have a live studio audience on Facebook and on Periscope, is Brian iSocial Fans. Fanzo, he is a veteran of this podcast. Veteran, when I say veteran, I think we've had Brian Fanzo on uh, almost more than everybody else. I, I think only Amy Schmidauer has been on the podcast more than you, Brian, as a guest. Uh, how are you, buddy? I am wonderful. And second place to Amy is somewhere I'll be perfectly fine being at, but I am great. But I have a question. Can you call it a studio audience when it's a, our live streaming audience? And we're not in a studio. We're actually in our homes, but I guess that's tomato, tomato. Thanks for having me, man. I mean, if you really, really want to ruin my flow there... And, and now that the listeners of the podcast heard that, I'm, I'm disappointed. But it's okay. It's okay, Brian. It's okay. It is a studio. It's my studio. It's my home studio. I have a different studio in Columbus, Ohio that I go to often as well. Well, you know what? That's living the life. Multiple studios. But isn't that the power of what we're doing, even with podcasting and live streaming? You can listen to us anywhere everywhere and when you want to it's kind of the cool part that we're living in i mean think about it before radio shows were you actually had like appointments and you remember when tv shows you had to do that now we just watch it when we want to you know it leads us to the discussion we wanted to have today about participatory technology i don't want to talk about specifically video or apps or anything like that but what did bring this up was pokemon go right we talked about you and i were discussing this on a facebook feed or somewhere um, somewhere on Facebook or somewhere online, it was about Pokemon. And we, we were discussing that it's participatory. Yes. But do people really want participatory? So Brian, let's start with going into your side of this discussion. What are we seeing in app technology in technology in general, augmented reality, live video? What do you think is uh, the direction that the masses want. So I think first, let's take a little journey down the road of, you know, I remember, you know, in high school, growing up in Virginia Beach, the idea of the radio show, right? The radio talk show, my favorite sports radio show, we're both Pittsburgh Steelers fans. We can say, you know, Myron Cope on the radio. And the idea that, you know, why would people wait on the line on a radio show just for like five minutes, usually to answer a question? And, you know, if you called in Howard Stern, he'd make fun of you and then you'd be able to come on the air. But you, you would literally wait as long as you possibly could on that phone and you would get on the air, you'd quickly ask your question, but then you'd talk about it for a long time. And it was because you had access to this, this broadcast, to access to this medium that you couldn't get anywhere else. And, and you know, you really just kind of felt like you wanted to be a part of it. And I think as we segued more in digital and in technology, we started to actually forget what it meant, what we actually liked about media. And so, you know, like, why was the reality TV growth? The simple fact that reality TV growth, because we could picture ourselves being on Survivor, on Big Brother, on, you know, uh, America, you know, you have amazing race, because we could actually, you know, a picture ourselves part of it. But we also had this need, and I, I actually take it back, you know, Enzo, I, both of us, you know, millennial side, you know, part of that, yeah, or someone, someone said, you know, just like cops, the TV show cops, but like, even as a millennial, you know, choose your, choose your own adventure books. You remember those choose your own adventure books? I mean, like that allowed us 
to shape where the story was going to go. And I think that nature for us today is that we don't want, no one likes being told something. We sure as hell don't like someone broadcasting, you know, like the reason the news is struggling now is because the news decides what's relative to, for us, right? And the reason I love social media, and I actually just ran about this on, on Snapchat, is that we get to control the feed. You decide who you follow, who you unfollow, who you block. But we want to actually be able to engage and shape the conversation, shape the output of what's being created today. And the main reason for that is, is because why the hell not? We live now in this world where we're not afraid to complain when our taco is incorrect in Taco Bell. We're going to tweet out to the world and tell the world that some poor person that, you know, this person working in the Taco Bell messed up our order. Like, I mean, think about that. It's kind of a weird mindset that we're living in, but it's because we have the ability to, to share our message, to have these conversations, to collaborate really without borders. And I think we're looking at the future. I don't, I don't think of live streaming or this new participatory content as replacing any other content. It's a brand new element of conversation, collaboration, and community. And that's all well and good, right? I mean, we... We're okay with that. We love that. But is it a millennials thing or is this something that truly is uh, where we're headed? I know you said we had, you know, pick your own books and pick your own this and pick your own that. Great. But do people really want that or are they just looking for the easy way? Because here, you know, and here, here's why this discussion happened. Because I still think that as much as Pokemon uh, has given us this participatory application or technology, as much as that's the case, aren't we still aren't we still bound by wherever they want us to go? Like, do we really need to go and be social? Or if we know there's a Pikachu in the park, we're just going to go to the park. Like to some extent, we're still drones, right? We're still kind of programmed to just go wherever we are guided. What if the Pokemon, you know, what if, what if these Pokemon told us to go to, um, you know, jump off of a bridge? I mean, we've, we've heard of people that have walked off cliffs doing this stuff. So tell me why I should really care about participatory technology when it comes to, uh, mainstream. If, well, I'm, I, if I'm a business or a brand or anybody that should they, why should they care? I think, I think first off, I mean, nothing in the world today, nothing we've invented, nothing Elon Musk or Steve Jobs has figured out how to fix stupid. Right. So like, you know, people are still going to walk off cliffs. They're going to, they're going to walk into traffic and then try to sue a video game maker for them being stupid. Right. And like, that's just kind of the world we live in. But I look at it as this idea where I don't think we want control. I think control is an illusion. I think perfection is something that is never obtainable. And, and if that's what we're, people are looking for, I believe they're looking in the wrong place and not asking their audience. But from a brand and a business perspective, I like the idea. It's not about controlling the outcome, but it's about giving them swim lanes, right? And allowing people to see where something's going, understand what, a, what your strategy is and your mission, but ultimately also help shape that. Because I think the reason most brands are not doing really well on live streaming and really influencers on live streaming as well is that they don't have a strategy. They're not willing to throw their strategy out. And then ultimately, they don't put enough trust into the community and the engagement that's happening on that actual broadcast. Because here's a question I have back to you, Enzo. You know, as the host of Brand Boost Podcast, you've had numerous guests, lots of conversations here. How many people are going to tell you 
that they they create content not to serve their audience and not to help their audience. Oh, I mean, obviously you you create it for somebody to read it, correct? I mean, there's a reason why you're creating it, but do I really want others' input? Maybe you do, Brian Fanzo. You want to create content based around somebody else's, um, you know, input, but do I? And 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 listen, there's no right or wrong answer here, but does. I'm not going to name anybody because I don't even want to go there, but does anybody creating content or writing content? I mean, look at the typical YouTube culture, right? Are they looking for their audience to shape their content? No, they create their content and the audience comes. I mean, it's kind of like the, you build it, they will come um, aspect, which I'm not saying I fully think is uh, the way you should create it. But I, I just question, I question if, um, you know, reality has kind of, is it setting in to this social media? I don't even want to say it because I'm live on, I'm live over here and I think my mom's watching on the live stream. So I'm not going to say what I was going to say, but do we just have this echo chamber here on social media and in you know these digital marketing spaces, or are we really going out of the way to create real reasons to have participatory content? Like what is the real reason, Brian is give me a valid reason why my mom, your mom, who is not in this space all the time. Okay. Why do they want to participate in content? I'll tell you right now, my mom's never watched a live stream other than mine and she doesn't participate. She doesn't comment. So tell me why I'm going to say normal people, but people that aren't you and I that love interacting with our celebrities, why do they even care? Because I don't think they have today because they don't believe it's possible or the brand's not listening or that their opinion doesn't matter. And I actually look at this in kind of the idea where you were bringing up YouTube, you know, like, and we have, you know, two of the two of we're very good friends with, you know, two of my favorite YouTube, you know, people that are doing it really well, Amy and Sonny Lenarduzzi, and they're both doing it really well. But I would always I would always point to the fact that. You know, you're leveraging the comments and the data and the feedback that you're getting from different episodes to shape future episodes. The free, you know, like looking at your podcast numbers and understanding, okay, this topic was really successful. What about this topic? What about this guest made this episode so successful, right? And you, and you start thinking of it in that mindset. Well, I look at participatory content is you're now getting actual additional variables. And I like to put it in the sense of if, if I was a viewer and I'm able to actually, it's not just shape the outcome of the actual broadcast itself, but maybe it's the idea that I'm shaping and helping giving them the feedback that they, they weren't sure about because I always use the Henry Ford quote and I love kind of putting it out there, but Henry Ford said that if he would have asked the audience or asked his community, you know, the customers what they wanted, they would have said faster horses, not a car. But I like to think of it as if Henry Ford, if all the people that he was asking had the ability to be on social media, to watch YouTube videos, to participate in Twitter chats, to, you know, engage and watch something like behind the scenes of dancing with the stars and you, and you got to ask people questions. I think you have to, you have to take a step back and say, what does, what creates advocacy? Why, you know, and I love sports, you know, Enzo, you and I, you know, we bleed Pittsburgh Steelers black and gold, right? And I think part of the reason that we, that we believe and we're advocates and we're evangelists and we, we love that sports team is that the, the city is, uh, it's ingrained in us, right? It's part of us. We feel like we're part of the team as much as the team, you know, like broadcast, you know, like we're able to, it's every, I mean, I remember my mom, 
when we moved to Virginia Beach, I didn't know parents didn't wear black and gold or sports colors to church because my mom wore black and gold earrings and a black and gold dress because it's ingrained in you. And to create advocacy, to create someone to have that bond, to have that, you actually have to have some kind of you know, link to them, trust, authenticity. And I think participating in the actual outcome is something that creates that. And I'm not saying that every person wants to participate by commenting on a live video, but the participating doesn't mean just commenting. It could be sharing the broadcast. It could be commenting after the broadcast is over. Ultimately, it could be when you're in a store buying a product and letting the person behind the counter go, I had no idea that you guys had this uh, on sale until I watched your sneak preview on your Facebook Live page on babysteals.com from our friend Jana. I mean, like, I look, I look at participatory content as this vehicle for us to get real-time, valuable variables that allows us to op operate and create content at the right time. Because real-time is easy. Real-time, I mean, I don't think of live streaming as replacing YouTube, and the main reason that is, is it's two different types of content, two different types of delivery, and ultimately, the, the life cycle and the evergreen aspects of it are completely different. But if I'm a brand, if I'm a business, and if you're thinking to yourself, I want to create content that I know my audience wants, and I want to actually serve them up and help them and solve their problems, what better way to do that than include their conversation in that actual content that you're creating? And it doesn't have to be direct content. Like, why not let them decide, you know, like our friend uh, Chris Mjolkin does the, you know, vote, vote on Snapchat which yo-yo should be on sale this week. And he snaps all the different yo-yos, and whichever one gets the, uh, the most screenshots, that yo-yo is on sale. Well, guess what? Even if mine didn't win, I now feel like I was part of a of the, the brand that was helping decide that. I now will talk about them in a podcast. I will now advocate for them because I was able to feel part of it. So, all right, let's, let's switch gears. And those are all great examples. Um, you know, Jana, Chris McEwen uh, with participatory uh, content. Let's talk a little bit about uh, this Pokemon Go phenomenon, all right? Uh, I want your opinion. And, and for the record, just for those listening, it's I, I love participatory content. I love participating and shaping content that is created um, no matter where it is, whether it's my favorite brand or whether it's my favorite talking head or whether it's a friend of mine like Brian Fanzo. I like and I love being able uh, to get that uh, feedback or give feedback. So no questions there. I still question the mainstream, right? Um, and, and that's where, you know, I, like I said, I question, I just question the ability to get this mainstream. So now we have this Pokemon go, um, app application, Brian, what are you seeing happen right now with Pokemon go in terms of a participatory, um, aspect? You know, I think it's interesting. You know, I, I wasn't, I'm, I didn't even know really what Pokemon was until a couple of years ago. I don't know how I missed that boat. I, I, I'm guessing it just in high school that part of what I was going on, I, I kind of missed the entire con. I wasn't until I was in Korea that I even heard of the, um, of the, I guess, characters or the, the topic and stuff. So for me, I, I come at it from a weird angle in the sense of like, I love seeing this idea of, uh, you know, community growth, but I actually look at this a little bit in the sense of, you know, 
what what are we craving as a society? You know, part, and, and I hate to use tragedy as an example. And, you know, September 11th was one of those times where, you know, I was in college in Virginia and I remember that day. I think everybody can remember where they were at uh, in America. But part of what we, we, we always talked about was we were craving each other and, and realizing that we're not alone and that, that we come together. And I think Pokemon Go, part of the conversation there is it got people to go to central locations or to come up and walk down a path with the same general idea, but being able to do it on their own, but also find people that have a shared purpose and a shared passion. Because I think of this, this, this idea where technology for the last nine or 10 years has really gotten in the way of us being better humans, of us collaborating, and us being a community. And I'm saying that as a tech evangelist and a, someone that suffers from FOMO, but I think we're finally getting back to the root of we don't get on social media for what our favorite brand is talking about. We don't even get on there for all of the links that everybody drops. Sometimes that's education. But we, we really, truly do believe in creating relationships and conversations and learning from people. And we want to do that every step of the way. I mean, isn't the reason that we get certain technology to be more productive so that we can spend more time doing the things that we love doing? And if that's the case, I look at Pokemon Go as, as what we've realized is that people want a reason, an excuse, a vehicle to come together with other people that they can relate with, that they can know, that they can like, that share a common purpose and a common passion. And I think this is nothing new if you understand community, but I think this is brand new when we're talking about, and I use the example on my blog post, Angry Birds, right? Or even... You know, Enzo, you, you and I are really close friends. We talk a lot on, on text all day, every, you know, throughout, throughout the week, every day. But I think we also realized that like Sons of Anarchy came out, a TV show on FX and the TV world that we live in now, like when House of Cards comes out, you get the whole season right away. And all you see for the next three weeks is people saying, don't spoil it for me, or I don't want to talk to you if you've already seen it. Cause part of that problem is we're the, the on demand, nature of House of Cards eliminates the community collaboration aspect because I tell you what, I watch Sons of Anarchy every single episode in real time and then right after the show they had the After Anarchy show where Kurt Sutter would interview people and they would they would tweet about it. I remember spending an hour or two after that show collaborating and talking to people around that hashtag about that show that I was watching and I think we kind of we, we moved away from that because we also value the idea that we don't want TV controlling when we're doing what we're doing so we want to be able to consume it on demand, but I, 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 I firmly believe that we are looking for ways that technology brings us together as a people, as a culture, and I believe the idea of participate, participating in the overall outcome is the best way to do that today. And, and you know, here's the thing with like Sons of Anarchy, it's still, we're seeing more like with um, Walking Dead, and I know there's other shows, but like I love how Walking Dead does it. It's participatory, um, where they allow you to interact in between commercials and whatnot. And, you know, there's polls, there are, um, it's almost like there's like a leaderboard. So they, you know, there's different, there's almost a competition between fans and who can rank up the leaderboard. I mean, the gamification of content is what, I guess we can go into here a little bit as well and, and always finding a way to, it's like, it's almost as if, and, and I don't know how to put this lightly, but it's almost as if consumers have become so stupid that they need a game in order to get out of their own way. 
And so I wouldn't say stupid. I would say we've, we, we've become overwhelmed, right? Cause I, I almost look at it as there's so much options for entertainment. I mean, like my grandfather always told me son or, you know, grandson, there was three channels. We had no remote. Oftentimes I'd be too lazy. I have to walk up there and change the thing. So I would watch the, the pirates, even if they were losing in the ninth inning. Right. And I think now the idea of consumption is everywhere, anywhere, and no matter where we're at, right? I mean, like, you, when you're in a doctor's office, you know, and I was joking, like, you know, with, with my daughters, like, the idea of, like, being in a doctor's office isn't as big a deal for me now, because I whip out my phone, I give one of my phones to my, my daughters, they can watch a game, I have my phone, I'm tweeting, I'm engaging, I'm, I can consume a Netflix show while I'm in the doctor's office, so I think we're over, we're oversaturated with options. And I think what people are looking for is when I'm trying to decide those options, if one of them gives me the ability to shape the outcome as well as collaborate and, and, and connect with people that are like me, why the hell would I not choose that over one that is broadcasted at me and is decided the outcome by someone else, not myself. Angry birds. That was a phenomenon as well. We're seeing, uh, it, it was similar up until Pokemon Go kind of blew everything out of the water. Why didn't Angry Birds or why hasn't it stuck around as much? And uh, let's answer that question first. I think of it as it was a great mobile app. It wasn't an app that embraced mobility as a whole, right? And like, I, I think of mobility as completely different than mobile. And if you're, you're listening to this and you're like, wait a second, like I have a mobile friendly website. I always like to ask this question. Did you take your, your, your traditional desktop website and make it look really good on a small screen? Or did you create a brand new experience that enables everything about the mobile device? Because your user is not only looking at a smaller screen, but where they're at is different. Their options for engagement are different. The variables that you're able to actually leverage to add new features and create new experiences like Bluetooth or the gyroscope that's built into the iPhone or the headphone microphone or the front camera and the back camera, all of these things I think are, are fully, you know, at our disposal. But I think the app development world got so in the idea that we took a game from desktop or from console and we just made it look good on the small screen and we made it, made it go from like a handle that was on a touch screen. Well, now what, what Pokemon Go is doing, it's not really augmented reality. What it's actually doing is it's leveraging all of those mobility features that exist that on every smartphone, like the idea of GPS and the idea of Bluetooth and the idea that we can, you know, share to social, which they'll have very soon while you're playing the game and, and set up some dynamic filtering. And you'll be able to even try, I mean, imagine the data that, that they're gaining right now. Like you could serve up a brand right now and tell them in your area, this is the foot traffic that is desired or the, the, the common path of foot traffic for a majority of the people within one mile of your business. And they could get that all from a game. I mean, it's, it's pretty, pretty crazy if you think about it, but I think it, it kind of the opposite of the digital space where we're going the other direction. I think in the mobile space, we're finally going to start, stop making stupid mobile games and start making mobility type games that leverage all of these aspects, including how many steps you walk. I mean, imagine that while you're doing your Pokemon, it'll actually have like a fitness ghost that walks next to you and says, yesterday you walked this many steps. And the reason it knows that is because it's plugging into, into another app that actually monitors how many steps you take during the day, right? Like these are all things that I think of as as the future of these, this app and this technology, rather than looking at something and just saying, we're taking one experiencing and we're making it good in our pocket. 
I think that's a lot to handle for most people. Uh, I'm waiting for a couple. I asked a few of my uh, Facebook Live audience here if they wanted some questions for us. Um, and do you have any questions on your? I know you're live streaming this as well. Do you have any questions on your side, Brian, that we can we can utilize on the the podcast? Someone asked a quick question early on, like very, at the very beginning, and they they actually asked about what role is authenticity playing in the desire for participatory content. I thought that was a pretty good question. What are your thoughts there on like that that buzzword of authenticity? It is a buzzword, but I tell you what, it's um, probably never been more important in our culture than right now. Just repeat the question one more time. What role do you think authenticity is playing in people wanting to get on live streaming or take, you know, use games and things that actually allow them to participate in it? Because it's actually giving that, like, you know, I love digital eyeballs because the reason Snapchat is scary for brands is you can't automate it, you can't outsource it to your your intern. Like, you know, if if it's a if it's an account and you say it's a Q and A with the CEO, like you have to have the CEO on that on that Snapchat account because they can see it via video. And I think that that does add an element of authenticity that we are craving. But I don't know. It's interesting to think about how much the need for authenticity is driving the type of content we're creating. You know, it's a good question. It's an interesting question, I think, because to me, I don't even know if the I don't I'm not sure if the two are related. I'm not sure if it's so here. And whoever asked that question, uh, here's my answer. I'm not sure authenticity as a buzzword is why people are craving or loving Pokemon Go. Um, I don't even think that that's why they flock to augmented reality, to be quite honest with you. Um, I think it is an opportunity to escape the reality of your, your, your life. And, and to me, that's, not, that's everything but authentic. Um, now when we talk about authentic, Brian, UI, other marketers, uh, you know, uh, branding, anything like that. Um, sure. It's authentic. It's real. It's a real experience. You have to go and have a real experience somewhere, but I, I still in the confines of the game itself or of the, or the technology off augmented reality to me is anything and everything but authentic. And I know you're going to have a, a, I know you're going to disagree with me, Brian, I am. I am. I'm going to disagree only in the sense that I don't think it's not authentic. I think it's creating a new reality, right? And what I mean by that new reality is here's the thing. I, I firmly believe that we are willing to give up data and we're willing to uh, leverage some of this new technology if it increases our experience or it allows us to do something quicker, faster, or more productive so that we can spend more time doing what we love, right? And so I look at augmented reality, and like one of my favorite things in augmented reality is the idea, you know, like, you know, we're saying we're at South by Southwest and we're walking down 6th Street down there in Austin, Texas, and there's, you know, 500,000 people or whatever, they, how many people they have on that road. And the idea that I can hold my phone up and I could see people that I'm, you know, on through the, through the, the photo app on my phone, being able to see like little chat bubbles pop up of the people that I'm following on Twitter or maybe the, the, the Yelp reviews of the actual restaurants as I'm holding my phone up, that, that not only increases the experience, but that also gives me the ability to pick and choose my restaurant maybe at a, at a faster pace, therefore allowing me to be more productive and get things done quicker. So I look at it as a new reality. I actually don't think of it as non-authentic. Now, virtual reality is a different story because I think virtual reality, we are 
we are experiencing kind of a, a world that is um, out, quote unquote out of this world, which sounds kind of Jetsons. But you know, for those that are listening, the, the difference there is augmented reality is layering things on as if you're wearing glasses that gives you new perspective on what you're looking at. Where virtual reality takes you to an entire different world. You're you're you could all of a sudden by putting on you know I, I'm actually looking at my my Samsung Gear my Gear VR is right here in my hand, and when I put that on, you know, it transforms. You know, one of the ones that I'm using is I, I can walk on the moon, right? And I can't walk on the moon leveraging augmented reality, but if I looked around, it could show me which things are are held down by gravity and which things are held down by mankind, right? And it would it would put icons over those if that was the idea of augmented reality. So I look at these things as, and I'm very much the optimist that loves the technology side, but I mean. For me, the other piece is, I mean, my favorite thing in the world, it, it, my favorite thing that gets me up every morning has nothing to do with technology. I love connecting great people with great people to do great things. And I think things like augmented reality, things like live streaming video, things like the, that, the, what Pokemon Go is, is enabling us to do is going to allow me to do that at a greater scale, be more productive, and then ultimately find more time to spend with my daughters, spend more time to doing the things that I love doing. And if that's the case, hell yes, bring it on. So there's an interesting discussion happening here on Facebook Live. For those of you listening to this podcast, we are interacting with uh, our live audiences on Facebook Live and Periscope as well here, trying a little something different with the podcast. Uh, Roberto Blake says, for me, it means I have reason to explore more of my town versus going to the same places I typically do. The result has been discovering new restaurants, bars, and people I would not have um, which makes me a part of my local area in a different way. Jed Record says, uh, on the contrary, totally agree with Vincenzo. People use Pokemon to escape reality, not seeking authenticity. So interesting to see that there's different views on different things. Roberto goes on to say that uh, he's bonded with perfect strangers uh, that he knows he would have ignored because we had this instant commonality. Uh, I mean, obviously... the both very valid points, Jed and Roberto. Uh, check out Jed Record on Twitter and Roberto Blake on Twitter. So that's the quick shout out. I told you guys, if you have questions or comments that I can put into the podcast, I would give you a shout out. Um, I think those are both really interesting concepts. And I think that the concept of augmented reality is phenomenal. I think there are, is a huge marketing play. There's also a huge uh, business opportunity. If you are a business, if you have a brick and mortar store, these augmented reality games are huge, can be huge. Um, I'm just not sure as to how the normal consumer, and when I say normal, I mean everybody that's not in the digital arena or works in the uh, digital arena, um, that that they're using it for different reasons, right? They're using it for reasons of escaping reality. We see people with PTSD. We see those with depression. Now, the game has done wonders for them, right? It's gotten them out interacting with people that they normally would not have. But why? Because it takes them, in a way, out of their reality. Um, would, you say it, would you say it takes them out of the reality or it distracts them from the daily grind, right? Because I think there's a difference. Escaping reality out. means... You think it's escaping? I think it's an escape, which is fine. I think it's an escape, though. And so, and listen, I've written 
uh, a few, quite a few pieces on Pokemon Go already and the opportunities that it presents on the marketing side. So for those of you that want to see that, I'm going to link it in the show notes. This, this conversation that we're going to is different. It's based off of a question um, that Brian was asked on Periscope. I, yes, I think it's an escape from reality, Brian. I think that it really is people wanting to get out of their own way. It's the same way I like to sit and watch a movie to get out of my own you know, I don't want to go and participate in a live stream when I just want to veg out. I just want to go binge on Breaking Bad, Sons of Anarchy, Game of Thrones, whatever, and just let it tell me the story, right? I want to go watch, just watch a movie and let it tell me the story. I don't want to interact. I don't want to have to. Tell me a story, make it really good, fill it with action, and that's it. Like, that's what I want. So, and that's how I feel there's a lot of users that use these types of technology to escape what reality is for them. Well, you know, I see what you're saying that I think it, I think of it as, you know, like one of the things that I, and Jed's, Jed records actually on my, on my Periscope now, but I look at it as we are trying to find people that are similar to us. Like the reason, you know, like if you like underwater basket weaving and you like coloring your hair blue, you could, you could probably find someone on the internet that either does the same or can relate with you or loves that about you that you're willing to do that, right? So I actually look at it, you know, and, and the reason I signed up for Twitter, and, and this is like a, the craziest whirlwind of the, of a, of a story side of it, but I signed up for Twitter because I was having serious Pittsburgh withdrawals when I was living in Virginia Beach and all of my friends and my cousins were talking about the, how everybody's excited at the grocery store and they're sitting at Giant and they're having these, these water cooler conversations about the Steelers rise in 1994, you know, for the Super Bowl in 95 and there's all this conversation and you know what, I, I remember thinking about that in 99 and 2000, 2001, saying I want to move back to Pittsburgh because I want to feel like I can have these conversations with my people. I want to come back and be with my people. And I believe the reason I signed up for Twitter was I was like, well, there's this hashtag and there's these conversations going on. And I simply turned it on when the Steeler game was on or the Penguins were playing. And I started to have conversations with people that were similar to me. They got me. And it allowed me to not feel homesick and not feel left out of a conversation. It actually allowed me to feel included. And I actually look at Pokemon Go very similar. When if, if you were, you know, and I think Joel Kahn was in here earlier. I watched Joel Kahn on Snapchat and live stream talk about the video games that he's playing, right? And I know the reason I think Twitch is so powerful is because that community of gamers was a very siloed gaming community other than those that were either in the exact same game or maybe you were playing World of Warcraft and you were able to interact together. But I think what they were looking for, what they were craving was their ability to be connected with those that were similar to them, that got them, that understood the type of person they were, that understood why it was okay for them to sit 19 hours in one chair and never get up because they were trying to complete a level. And I think that's what Pokemon Go in an essence is enabling is it's allowing us to connect with people that maybe have that shared passion. I'm not saying that it's going to continue at this rate, but I do look at it as this idea that we would love, everybody would love, and it's, I'm not saying that you want to be proactive with it always, but if you think about what your passion is, what your purpose is, what, your, what, what the things that you love talking about the most, does not everybody crave the ability to talk to people that have a similar personality or similar passion? Because we do have enough in our daily lives of people that will, that bash us or call us, you know, that, that are anti what we're doing or that will challenge us. But I think we really do crave oftentimes the, the ability to relate with and engage with people that have a similar passion than us. 
Uh, Randall Chase says on the uh, live stream here that uh, the individuals in the technology class that he recently taught at uh, UGA were CEO, CFO, marketing directors um, all from all over the country, and they aren't seeing the value yet. Yeah, Randall says he's not saying it can't be, but he says that AR isn't actually creating more money in reality. Interesting. It's interesting to hear that. Um, I think he said they're marketing directors for Chamber of Commerce. So that could explain why as well. Chamber of Commerce tends to be sometimes a little bit more old school, doesn't see opportunities as quickly. Again, I'm reading comments off of a Facebook. uh, So I don't know the full detail of that. Um, And well, I I think one one of the things one of the things on top of that is I think until, you know, I, I like to say digital natives and digital dinosaurs, and that's not the year you were born, but it's your, it's your, it's your workflow. It's your understanding of where the digital social space fits into your day-to-day life. Right. And you know, like I'm in my family, I'm the only one that isn't active on Twitter, but yet my youngest brother is big into beer brewing and he uses untapped and checks in with his beers and collaborates with other brewers. My other brother is an architect and does, uh, you know, he does commercial real estate and a lot of what he does on social media or online is truly, truly the idea that, um, uh, he is, for him, it's an education platform. Digital allows him to understand what his competitors are doing and what the industry has doing, right? So, like, that's what is going on for him. So, I actually look at augmented reality, virtual reality, even live streaming, and sadly, even social media, until they actually engage, empower, and understand into the digital dinosaurs workflow until my mom starts talking about Periscope and where that fit into her, there is an adoption problem. There is a hard element of getting direct, you know, broad ROI. But I will always argue, if you are an early adopter, it gives you the opportunity to learn, to engage, and even shape how it's going to be used moving forward. And I know, you know, Joel Com is actually on my Periscope now, and I think it's something that Joel and I have always seen eye to eye in, you know, early on was not only where new adoption fits in there, but sometimes the, the fact that you fail fast and you fail early with like technologies like Blab, the, the values that it teaches you on building a community and engaging with what people want, those things can't be learned in 10 years worth of not failing if you're not willing to do it on that side. So I do understand like some of those CIOs and CEOs aren't seeing direct value today, but I think they're also might be looking at the raw, the wrong metrics or trying to compare it to something that is not apples to apples. It's an interesting conversation. It really is. This, this conversation is very, we can talk about this all night, really uh, going back and forth. We, I know some are seeing, uh, some are seeing an uptick, others aren't. And, uh, you know, I want to close off the podcast by saying that augmented reality is, is new in terms of mainstream, uh, this is just a foray into what is possible and what, uh, what's out there. You know, these are things that some companies have been holding on to for years and been playing with for years. And we could also say that Snapchat has, um, an aspect of augmented reality with filters and whatnot. So there's, there's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of, um, I think fear, there's a lot of excitement. It, there's really just a lot of mixed emotion. Uh, I do have a question here. So let's, let's answer this question. Roberto Blake says, Brian Vincenzo, do you guys think that there's a fear of experimentation in business and marketing right now and that it has become reactionary? I'm going to take the question because I love his last part of the question where he asks if it's become reactionary. 
Um, Amy Schmidauer and I, for those of you that don't know, we recently started a business called Aftermark. Uh, we're video content consultants. And we had a conversation about reactionary versus, um, you know, are you reacting or are you responding? And I think well, there's a huge difference, first of all, between a response and a reaction. Can you agree, Brian? Yeah, I'm, I'm good. Okay. Um, so, Roberto, to answer your question, yes, we have all become reactionary. Many of us have become reactionary. Businesses have become reactionary. You know, and Brian can attest to this. I've said this many, many times on um, whether it's podcasts or live streams or, you know, discussions, debates with Brian. Um, we tend to just, it's, it goes back to the fear of missing out, right? And I know Brian loves fear, you know, that that FOMO is, is something that Brian talks about often. And as a marketer or as a business, sure, you want people to make reactions. But as a business, are you reacting? And I think that's what we need to kind of squelch a little bit. And as a business or as marketers, we need to understand how to respond, really flesh out our thoughts, flesh out our strategy, flesh out what we're trying to do rather than just oh my God, I need to be on this. Let me just go do it before I think about it. And, you know, many times I've had businesses come to me, and Brian, I know you've had the same, um, where they think, oh my God, I need to be on live streaming. And okay, this is great. Why? And they don't even know why. Same thing with this Pokemon Go thing. I've had, I've had actually quite a few businesses come to me and say, okay, I want to I be a Pokestop because I heard that's what I have to do. I said, okay, great. Or, do you know anything about the game? No, I've never even heard. I've never even downloaded. I know nothing about it. Just a reaction, a knee, knee jerk reaction. They thought I have to do this because everyone says I have to do this. Um, and marketing and marketing has become reactionary. We, we, and just look at the things that trend on Twitter, right? There's national ice cream day, national cinnamon bun day, national sock day, national nude day, national. I have a sock over my microphone with an elastic band around it day, which is actually the truth. Brian, if you could see me, I have a sock around my microphone with an elastic band around it. Um, national, I have a Charlotte cup day, blah, blah, blah. I mean, and, and brands are reacting to every single one of these, right? It's just a reaction. It's a reaction. It's a reaction. Just like, it's almost like no one responds to anything anymore or creates anything anymore because they don't have to. It's so easy to just follow the bandwagon of something else. And so Pokemon can be very reactionary. Um, any augmented reality can be very reactionary, Roberto. Um, but I think it's those that are, are stepping back and responding properly in the way they should do it um, that, that are going to you know hit the home runs. Brian, what do you have to say about that? Well, I, I agree with what you had to say. And I, you know, like for someone like me, like, you know, I, I embrace the FOMO. So my clients don't have to, right. And, yep. and part of, and part of what I can't stand and what I think is the biggest problem is people hate and fear the unknown and aren't willing to actually learn, adopt, fail, but rather than, than embracing it, they either hate it or they adopt it for a check mark. And I think social media is actually the fault because the brands that were early adopters on social media found so much value on building a community and getting on there early before Twitter was noisy and all of these things. And part of that value was like, I mean, some massive business value. So then rather than actually, you know, jumping on and doing, you know, the next thing and understanding what they were doing, brands started using social media to check a box for simply checking a box. And I think if you were, I, I think real, t this is why I, I don't care if you are, 
you are jumping on new technology. But you know, our friend, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk says you have to market for today. And I believe you have to plan and understand where your audience is going to be tomorrow. And part of what that means is, and part of what that really is to understand where they're going to go tomorrow is you just have to understand what's out there. I don't think you have to, I actually, I tell my clients, they don't need to be on every channel. They don't need to be on every social media network. They need to manage their expectations. They don't need to use every live streaming, uh, tool. But what they do need to do is they need to understand the benefits. They need to understand the value. They need to understand the type of audience that's there because here's the difference. And I, I, the worst phrase in business and life is we are doing it this way because it's the way we've always done it. And the rate of change that exists today is unlike anything we've ever seen before. Think about it. The VHS recorder, the VHS tape, was the king of TV, was the king of media for 26 years. Blu-ray DVDs came out and died in seven years. The rate at which we are adopting new technology, the rate at which we are actually being able to pivot and do amazing new things is unlike any time before. So just because in the past it wasn't okay to to adopt and adjust to some of these new things doesn't mean you shouldn't now. But I also believe if you don't have a strategy, and your strategy can be building an audience, building a community, learning. But if you don't have a strategy, you shouldn't be on anywhere because your strategy should understand the, the tool, the community, and it should link to a business goal and a business value. I mean, I don't, for me, when I look at work with a brand and, and Enzo, you know this, I build out a ton of live stream strategies that brands told me to get lost. We don't have time for that. We don't need another channel. I don't have the resources. My audience isn't there. When I started changing my rhetoric and I said, hey, I want to understand what does success look like for you? Do you want me to tell your story to a new audience? And then I started breaking down what success was. And then I started reverse engineering that into Snapchat, in the Facebook Live, in the Periscope. All of a sudden, these brands found massive value. So I guess for me, I, I, I see the point, but I also look at it as are people just getting on the technology or hating on the technology because they aren't putting in the effort? Or are they looking at it and saying, that's not where I should be? Because I'm the first one to say that the last five uh, strategies that I've built out for brands have not included Snapchat. Snapchat is my current favorite platform at this moment, but has not in included Snapchat because their audience and their social network itself is not mature enough to bring people over or build an audience on Snapchat. So I've advised against that. And that's someone that is FOMO and that lives on every single channel, right? So like, I think when we have to look at this, the fear of missing out does not mean you chase shiny objects for no reason. What it means is you're, you're listening listening and willing to understand the unknown and the things that are that you might miss out on so that if something is valuable for your audience and valuable for your brand and valuable for what you're doing then you can adopt it but I, I I think it's it's like a Bob Dylan quote right I mean sadly most people hate what they don't understand uh, Rachel Miller our friend Rachel Miller my friend and yours Brian she says there's nothing wrong with brands and individuals being reactionary. Some trends only last 24 hours, others last two years. As long as you are aware and make some smart choices regarding how and where to adopt new tech and communication channels, when isn't as important. Beautiful answer, beautifully said by Rachel Miller. Um, We've got a lot of comments coming in here. I don't know about on your side, but I've got quite a few comments here. Roberto Blake Agree with Vincenzo on your response. A lot of bandwagoning. He says, I also don't, 
I also worry we don't have innovation and exploration more because of how much simpler it is to just watch and react to the next shiny object, which I think is true. Uh, in many cases, there's a lot of people that do that. Um, many, there's a couple other comments here. Folks are just checking the box or folks that do just check the box will not excel because once the box is checked, they moved on. They don't actually build roots or depth. Well, I think, but isn't that, I mean, I think it, I would challenge this, man. Maybe, maybe this is where I believe, I believe every brand can can find massive amount of value. B2C, B2B, I don't care, H to H, can find massive amount of value in building a community and investing in their community. And you don't have to link that directly to ROI because it, uh, as far as a marketing concept, but for me, one of the greatest uses of live streaming is actually recruitment. If you want to talk about why your company is good to work at, you say you have a great culture, it's a fun work environment, our managers have open door policies, it's an environment that allows you to succeed, why would you not use live video to amplify that, to share that? And so when I look at that live video, like the marketing department might not find value in spewing their marketing message or enabling sales with call to actions, but are they looking at it from an HR perspective, from a recruiting perspective, from an idea that you're building a community? And I think every, as I think, I know Every brand, no matter their size, can find massive amount of value in investing in their community. And sometimes that just means having a conversation. You know, the reason people sponsor podcasts oftentimes, you know, my podcast and yours, uh, Enzo, is because they want to let the community know that they're investing in this conversation so that it can continue to happen. It's not investing in it so that I drop a call to action every five minutes. It's investing in it to say, hey, we support this message. And by the industry being educated, they're gonna, we're going to have smart our customers, which hopefully will take our tool or our product. And I look at that as, I mean, community building is something that everybody says they need. And yet we outsource this, outsource it. We take the shortcut. We don't look at that as an ROI um, opportunity. And I think if you're a small and medium sized business today, if you invest in your community online and when it is time to take an action and when it is time to enable them, you can, you can act, react, and you can compete with the big boys, the enterprises, because you went community and they went followers and niche and relied on old things like email marketing that only worked. Email marketing is killer today. It'll be killer for the next seven years. But that doesn't mean that you can just ride out email marketing and have no need to do other marketing channels. And I guess for me, I, that's why I get fired up. I'm like, literally, I have my, if you're watching me on my Periscope right now, and Joel Com did a little share love to his massive amount of uh, Twitter followers. So we had a couple over 100 people jumping in live here on the Periscopes. But I love all the comments because a lot of the comments are really about, you know, I'm still looking at, you know, our friend Frameable Faces, Doug, uh, you know, and he said, you know, we're still figuring out where where that fits in our goal for Snapchat, where Snapchat fits in our business. But, but he understands the technology, understands the value proposition. He listens to the people like us that are, that are sharing these things. And, and when that aligns with his business goals, I see him adopting it and doing great things with that platform. And I think the problem is the people that look at it and say, well, my audience is 55 years old to 85 years old. They're not on Snapchat right now, so I'm not getting on it. Well, who are they listening to? Do you not know that they're listening to their grandkids maybe on what they're purchasing? Or maybe they're deciding on the color of their yacht based on what, their, what school their daughters go to in college. And, and that's a view of looking at who influences the influencer or who influences the actual, the actual purchaser. But I do believe... We have to look at this as a community vehicle to grow, invest, and expand, which I believe is the most powerful piece, which is your community. 
There you have it. I mean, we could continue this conversation probably into the wee hours of the morning, uh, but I feel like with this is a good stopping point. It goes back to uh, the community conversation, uh, which we can save for yet another episode of the Brand Boost Podcast. Brian, let us know where we can find you and what you have going on now. Feel free to plug yourself and anything you're working on, um, and we'll drop the links in the show notes. Sure. So um, thanks, Enzo, for having me on. I do love, you know, podcasting to me is such an intimate, passionate group that listens to the, the shows and, and, and is able to kind of grow along with us as we're doing. I host a podcast called uh, Smack Talk, which stands for Social, Mobile, Analytics, and Cloud. And, and we bring that to different live events. So we're going to be at four major events this fall, different enterprise technology events, interviewing thought leaders on that space. Um, I have a, a crazy, ridiculous speaking schedule. It looks like I'll be doing uh, nine countries and 40 keynotes uh, in 2016. So check out isocialfans.com for all of that. And I'm also um, the co-founder and partner in Summit Live, summit.live online. Uh, we do the, it was the Periscope Summit, it's the live video summit, and really it's the social video summit for creators and brands to better understand how you tell your story and how you leverage this technology. And our next event is February, February 22nd. So if you go to summit.live, you can sign up on the email list. We'll be dropping early tickets very soon. So summit.live smack talk podcast and then of course isocialfans.com and isocialfans everywhere anywhere and uh enzo this was fun man i tell you what um i told you i was fired up i had a snapchat rant earlier i had some really good successful things on, on my business side today and i had high expectations and the people that don't know behind here Enzo is a perfectionist when it comes to the audio quality, and we spent about an hour and 10 minutes uh, testing the audio so that we could simulcast this out to the live streaming community as well. So Enzo, um, you are more of a perfectionist than, than I am myself, and because of that, the, the audience uh, got rewarded. So thanks for uh, having me on, and thanks for doing what you do, my friend. Hey, I appreciate always having you on, and I will uh, make sure that when we open up this conversation again, you'll be the first one on the podcast. Check for us later this week. We will have Brian on potentially, well, not potentially, on either the first or second episode of a new show that Amy and I are dropping. Um, make sure you catch that. We'll be having a similar discussion. It'll be around video um, and video marketing. So, Brian, again, I appreciate you. Appreciate everything you do. Um, listen, keep kicking ass. You're doing great. And we will, will, will be together, I think, next week in New York City. So that'll be fun. Yes, sir. Bring it on. Let's do New York up next Saturday. Absolutely. And you know what? Schmitastic will be with us too. Well, there'll probably be a live stream or two. There may be a live stream. We'll try and find a good spot in the city to create some, uh, to create a good video. And, uh, and then we'll turn off the live streams for the evening, for the evening fun. But you guys will catch at least one live stream. <laughs> Amen to that. All right, bro. I'll talk to you soon. This has been a VincenzoLandino.com production. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy the Brand Boost podcast, please give us a rating, write a review, or subscribe. Head on over to brandboostcast.com forward slash subscribe.